if anybody saw the movie Casablanca, there was kind of that run on the bank. Everybody's kind of, I want my money. I want my money. Well, that's kind of ha what happened in the mortgage world. This is the Financial Side of Life podcast, episode 31. Welcome to the Financial Side of Life podcast. Our mission, to empower you with smart financial strategies and show that it's possible to get a college education, save, invest, retire, or do whatever makes sense to help you live your best life. We'll meet amazing people and professionals who will share stories about how they do it. And together, we hope to bring a little sanity to your complex financial life. And now, here's your host, Certified Financial Planner Pro and founder of Avea Financial Planning, Angie Forbotten-Larosi. Hey everyone, it's Angie Forbotten-Larosi and I want to welcome you to the Financial Side of Life podcast. So today, I'm joined by Brian Cook. He's a mortgage advisor and he's been in business doing this kind of work since 2001. The last yep. couple of years have been with Peak Mortgage right here in the Tri-Cities but serving clients both in Washington and Oregon. So uh, I asked him and he described for me a lot of what he does for clients is to educate them and help them make informed decisions on mortgages as well as, you know, the paperwork and that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. most recently he can be found on KONA 610 AM radio hosting what is called focus on business. So, and providing great mortgage tips on air. So, mm -hmm. uh, here's something I didn't know about him is that he played baseball for the University of Hawaii. So, I'll want to know a little bit more about that, Brian. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, welcome. Welcome to yeah, the program. Thank you. Thanks, I, thanks for joining me. I appreciate me. you having me on. It's, uh, I, I like sharing information and getting it out there, especially in today's trying times. And, and uh, finances are a big part of that. And um, we all, you know, and the homeowners out there as well. So, yes. So we're talking mortgage information today. Um, Brian and I were talking last week, I think it was. And I just yep. thought, you know, we should have just been recording this because there's <laughs> a lot of really good information. It's very timely as well. I've had a couple of clients reach out to me and, you know, discussing the pros and cons, should I, should I not refi? And so mm -hmm. that's kind of the focus of today's conversation is uh, what's going on? We'll yeah. just start there. You know, what's going on? with mortgages and maybe in particular the refi environment right now? Yeah, so uh, we are definitely seeing, I mean, one of the, uh, I mean, unfortunately we've seen the coronavirus, the COVID virus affecting, um, you know, our, our markets from uh, actually starting in February as news starts to come out, started to kind of constrict the China trade market. And that started to okay. get investors really scared, um, kind of starting to dump out of uh, stocks into bonds. And that started, uh, um, uh, a lot of mortgage rates are, are based off of the 10-year treasury. And so as we, uh, um, as we saw that lowered, that interest rates lowered. And within a short period of time, I mean, think about it. It was almost like a run on the bank occurred over in probably about the middle of February. And we had a huge kind of run on the rates. And if you kind of think about, um, like, if anybody saw the movie Casablanca, there was kind of that run on the bank. Everybody's kind of, I want my money. I want my money. Well, that's kind of ha what happened in the mortgage world. But when you refinanced, you're only really, I almost kind of like you're trading mortgages in the cloud. Um, there's no really monetary fixture that's happening because one servicer and one lender is getting paid off. And then that other lender then is taking on the mortgage. Okay. Um, so what's happening is, is that when happens, when you have a run on the bank, well, all of a sudden this big block of servicing then leaves a servicer. And so there was a basically a capacity issue that started to happen. Literally banks were running out of money 
where do we get the land? Um, we have to, when you sell a loan on the secondary market, you have to have that onto an investor really quick. Mm -hmm. We were um, not only that, you were running out of that time to do it. There were so many refinances that occurring. And what happened was, is that you had even some of the bigger lenders stop even a, taking applications. They were happening so fast, not enough people to service them. Um, and then the timing that it takes to close a loan, appraisers, everybody else that's involved, um, we just couldn't reach that. And it started to affect mortgage rates. Um, you had banks raise interest rates, literally trying to turn away business so they didn't have to take on these low rates. Uh, and that's created this environment now of where we have kind of, the banks have almost uh, either kind of the, the calm in the waters happened a little bit. Um, it's still a little uh, volatile right now. But what's happening is, is now we have the banks, the ability of, they've kind of either shored up their secondary markets and, and what's happened there. And then now they're having the capacity um, to be able to do those. Um, we kind of had a, a really large boom. And then all of a sudden with the rates and other things occurring, as well as uh, changes in jobs and what's happening, that's happened. Uh, one of the biggest things we also saw was uh, the feds in their stimulus package that came out. They have agreed to purchase uh, the basically a non- uh, uh, there's no limit to them of, of what's called mortgage-backed securities. And these are the bond loans that uh, investors rely on to be purchased uh, in the secondary market so they can go ahead and lend more money, right? Well, if uh, nobody was going to guarantee the purchase of these bonds, well, investors are not going to be willing to uh, kind of put these out there and lend on these monies. So it's created a lot of volatility over the last couple of weeks, but it has driven interest rates down. So it's created huge amounts of opportunities that are out there. I mean, we're talking low threes, the lowest interest rate we saw hit about four weeks ago um, mm -hmm. was the lowest we saw in 50 years. Um, so, I mean, that's a, a big opportunity that we're seeing in our financial market. Um, and what rate was that? About. We were seeing rates in the twos. I mean, 30-year fixed in the twos at that period of time. Wow. Um, so, I mean, you hit about a week of a, a good rate. So mm -hmm. don't feel as though if you are in the market to refinance, like, oh gosh, I missed the boat. Well, I mean, we were buying houses and doing rates in the high fours just this time last year. Yeah. So, I mean, high threes are still really good environments to be able to come in and, and take advantage of those right now. So it, it, the last four weeks, uh, I've had some, you know, probably more gray hair and um, I feel like a day trader watching the markets. <laughs> We've had a lot of volatility in those. And so that's, it's created an environment for home buyers that they're in home um, and homeowners that they're uncertain of what's happened in the market. So a lot of education going on recently about that and uh, what opportunities they might have to take advantage of. Good. Okay. So are people still refining right now? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say the difference, though, is that it's kind of changed in the environment of let's shop for a rate and then go ahead and, and kind of commit. And then we'll go through our loan and, and underwriting and submitting our documentation after we've chosen our lender. Well, right now, it's almost to the fact of what we're having to do is the lock periods now are, are so short, but it's taking a longer period of time to kind of 
you know, go through the process of these. I mean, volume, volume is so uh, at capacity where, you know, being able to underwrite them and do the paperwork and everything that goes into a loan. So uh, it's created a, a, a gap that we just don't have. So by shortening the lock period we have, that allows us to give a better um, opportunities on the secondary market so that we don't have to sit there and hold a loan for 60 or 90 days. Because what could happen over those 60, 90 days, we're seeing job losses, we're seeing other things occurred. So by shortening our lock periods, but what's happening is, is that, okay, you gotta kind of commit to, um, I wanna do a refinance, commit to submitting our paperwork, we underwrite you, and once we are underwritten and we're approved, then we're able to kind of lock you and, and lock you into that interest rate, which right now, um, refinances, I checked a rate today. I mean, um, you know, it's going to be dependent on credit. So, you know, just yeah. kind of that asterisk mark, but you're seeing like 3.125, 3% today on a refinance, which if, if you are in the fours, that's probably anywhere from 150 upwards, to, you know, $350 a month in savings, which okay. so that can add up quite quickly. Okay. And I'm going to date stamp this because I, uh, I don't always release my podcasts as quickly as we do them, but today is the 9th of April. Yep. And so so we're right in the middle of- change, change on a daily basis. So don't, um, you know, it's something of like, hey, if we're interested then it's kind of get the process started, get moving along. And then that way, once we kind of get you in an approved status, we know that we have a loan because what I don't, to kind of explain what a lock is, what a lock is, is I'm taking the money that's in my pool to lend and saying, okay, I'm gonna set it aside for you. So we wanna know and, and to better our capacity and better our lending environment and to keep our rates low, we wanna ensure we have a loan before we lock the rate, if that kind of makes sense. So it allows better pricing and allows um, kind of a better opportunity for the buyer that way because they're or, uh, the uh, borrower that way. So they're not at risk as well that these locks could expire otherwise. If you're only doing 30 days and it's taking 60 or 45 days to complete a refinance, well, you don't want to be in a position where you're going to lose that lock. So, so how long are refis taking? Um, I mean, we're seeing turnaround time in mean, probably about 60 days. Okay. It's really long because everybody's used to the 30 days, right? Typically how long it's going to take. But with appraisers, you know, their timeline stretched. Um, underwriting's taking anywhere from a week to two weeks um, right now. So we start to add up all those and reviewing of documentation. I mean, the whole process is a lot in the back end that we do. Nobody really sees it, but you, yeah. you think about it. If you're lending $300,000 to somebody, what got us in trouble in 0708 is we were lending without any documentation. So now we have that much, uh, or we have to ensure and review all that documentation, go through that and fill. And it takes a long time to do that. And uh, as well as the post-closing, I mean, the closing, um, that's another thing we're seeing is that it takes a little bit of time to get docs out, um, get to the closing table and signed. Um, we're happy. Uh, uh, luckily, the escrow offices are being very safe. Uh, and allowing people to sign. We've seen plexiglass that somebody attended to. I felt like I was going to a conjugal visit in prison or something it's like <laughs> under the glass. So oh, it's, man. it's definitely a different environment. And we're literally almost on a week to week basis, uh, 
having to uh, change. I mean, we're seeing products dropped off um, that we're seeing first time home buyer programs are starting to come off our market. And so it's affecting a lot of people out there and now starting to affect the ability for homeowners and home buyers. So, okay. So if um, someone is thinking, because there's, there's oftentimes sort of this frenzy that I even feel it and I kind of get caught up in it and it's like, Ooh, I should be refining. I should refi. What? It sounds like I'm I need to refi. <laughs> yeah, kind of, you know, <laughs> I don't want to miss out. It's that yeah, FOMO. I don't want to miss out on my toilet paper. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like, even though my current rate right now, and this is sort of a personal question because I have been thinking, you know, should I be considering mm -hmm. refining? My personal rate right now is 3.875, which I, I, I've been around long enough to know that that's a smoking good rate, you know? That's a very good rate. And my very first house, very first rate on my very first house was 7.5%, and that was mm -hmm. 1999. And it went down from that to seven or 5.5, and, and now here we are at 3.875. This is a different house. But so at that 3.875 rate, and it's now eight years old, that loan. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I'm just wondering, you know, how do you help somebody evaluate if they even should do a refi? Yeah. Well, that's a very good question because don't, um, I always say don't chase the rate um, because the rate isn't always the, the key part to it. Um, like you said, I've had this loan for eight years. Does it make sense for me to refinance into a new 30 year? Um, when a most interest uh, to kind of show you know how a loan works uh, you're gonna be end up uh, um, a lot of your interest is kind of uh, front-end loaded you know right. so a lot of the interest you pay I mean you get a mortgage statement your first mortgage statement you feel like you're paying like <laughs> a third of it toward your principal and the rest is interest right right so that's what we do. we're gonna look at what your loan balance is when did you close your loan um, uh, those type of things. what type of loan do you have mortgage insurance on your current uh, all these factors that kind of come into play. And then what's that meaning for your payment, but also your interest saved. So that's another thing to look at is, is that the interest rate, maybe let's say it's 3.875 and we go down to three, that might mean a difference of payment of maybe call it $150 or $200, let's say. Uh, so what we look at is, is what's the rate of return if I'm gonna be spending $5,000 out of my loan balance, how soon am I recouping the cost that I'm going to incur from that? Uh, because what's happened is, is you'll see in the fine print in some lenders out there, um, some are really quick in another way of putting it, is that there's some fine print at the end of saying what that rate is at the bottom and what the cost is for that rate. Mm -hmm. So paying points for that rate and does all of this cost make sense for you? So what we do is, I literally put together a nice um, analysis within a software and kind of help determine, you know, what's the going to be the rate of return on that? Does it make sense? Does it make sense to maybe go to a 20 year term or a 15 year term loan uh, since you've already paid it down eight years? So right. that's part of what we do is we help analyze. Um, you had mentioned about kind of how, at the beginning, kind of as a mortgage advisor, what I do differently is that I'm going to help you make an educated decision and help you navigate that decision. Right. Whereas uh, when the loan officer or typical online lender is, is you're going to just, this is what I want to do and they're going to do what you tell them. So what we want to do is help navigate. Uh, um, maybe it's comparing, you know, maybe you have another lender that we're comparing and 
I can help compare if that's better than I, and sometimes it is, and we want to have you have the best deal or mm -hmm. if ways that we can uh, help, uh, help in that. And we're actually, you know, uh, better in a sense of price or otherwise for the rate. And so that's one big thing you have to work at, look at is your entire cost. Um, so that's the way that I analyze it. And then what's that rate of return? How does that look like in comparison? The typical homeowner lives in their house five to seven, probably 10 years now, considering rates are so low, but let's just say if you live in your house seven years. So, you know, does that make sense? Am I going to be moving in a couple of years? So we want to ask, a, I do a lot of discovery of, mm -hmm. I kind of call it, I put you first and your loan because we need to discover what your goals are first and then kind of analyze if this is going to make sense in a refinance. And that could be, um, you know, when you close, all I need to do is when did you close, what's your loan balance and, um, you know, what your, you know, what your interest rate is. And then we can kind of help determine if, if the refinance makes sense. And if you're, I always look at it from a rate of return. If it's three or less years, it's a usually a good refinance because okay. you could be living in your home seven years, right? So okay. everything after three years is more, is uh, um, call it money in the bucket. Right. And most refinances when I'm doing rate of returns right now are about a year and a half, year, max two years. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely that opportunity where the rates, that's why you don't, it doesn't make sense. You said 3.875. Well, it wouldn't make sense to go to three and a half uh, to refinance because your interest rate just isn't going to make sense because your your payment difference and what you're going to be saving on an interest and otherwise just doesn't compute out to the numbers, right? I mean, it's right. just, it's a numbers game, really. So it's just... So for some people who don't know a lot about mortgages and the costs associated with mortgages, um, which is not just the rate, I mean, it's not just yeah. what you're paying. Can you go into it just a little bit? Because we have some other things we're going to also talk about, but what are some of the costs involved when you are refinancing? Well, they're gonna be similar to when you're buying your home. You're gonna have, um, depending on your loan, um, uh, probably appraisal, um, title, escrow, other fees. Um, you're gonna also have, um, there's uh, processing, underwriting fees that come along. The other thing that might come up is um, you're also gonna have prepaids, okay? So currently, you're going to have a prepaid that pay for your taxes and insurance when they come due. So what's going to happen though when you refinance is the kind of nice advantage is, is that some of these costs that you're incurring, it's usually about forty-five to five thousand, are going to be part of part of those are prepaids. Well, what happens is is you actually have a prepaid. You have an escrow account with your current lender. What's going to happen is when that lender gets paid off you can go ahead and just simply that lender is going to give you that escrow money in a check. So what I just recommend is to people just, Hey, put that back as a principal payment onto your new loan. So there's ways to kind of strategize with your closing costs and how that gets paid. Uh, and you also skip a payment when you refinance. If you fund, let's say we fund today, April 9th. Um, you don't have a payment on May 1st. Your first payment is until June 1st. So there's ways that we're kind of analyzing how all these numbers are going to work in those, in those, in those payments. And so the typical closing costs are going to be similar to when you buy your home. Um, the only thing might be is just, we don't pay upfront taxes. Usually those type of things that you normally have. Okay. Um, 
something I remember back when I had my very first mortgage on the first house we lived in and we, we got that mortgage in 99. I want to say 2003 or 2004, our lender offered to do a no cost refi and rates had dropped considerably mm -hmm. to some of the almost comparable to what they are right now. So, um, when that happens, I mean, is, is that something somebody should definitely consider and take because now all of a sudden you're not having those other kind of add-on costs associated with that? Lenders are gonna always make their money somewhere, okay? Um, they're always gonna be looking to, you know, the profits are always gonna be somewhere in line, okay? Usually what a no-cost loan is gonna look like is, is it means you're paying a higher interest rate for a credit to pay those closing costs. So it's not as though a lender can't simply say, hey, I'm not gonna charge you anything because there's third party fees that are paid, there's settlement costs, there's other things that are occurring. So they can't say, hey, we're not gonna charge you. They might not charge, let's say, an origination fee or give a credit or a special or something like that. Um, for okay. But most of the time, it's always gonna be in there somewhere. Um, so when they say, hey, it's going to be a no-cost refinance, well, that typically means that all you're doing is paying a little bit of a higher interest rate to pay those closing costs. But what closing costs usually the way I recommend is just to include them in your loan, okay? Um, that way you're not coming out of pocket. I have some buyer, I have a couple refinances right now, they've decided to pay those closing costs so they don't increase their loan balance. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's one of the, again, part of the analysis that we do. Sure. Uh, Not it, everybody can do that. They don't have yeah, $5,000 sitting around yeah, to do that. And yeah, so the, again, that was there. But sometimes we might only have you bring $1,000 or 1500 because that's what you're going to be paying in your next mortgage payment. So we can keep your costs um, that are added to your loan balance. Plus, remember, you are going to get a check from that escrow company. So any of that money that you added to the loan balance, so sometimes... In fact, probably right now with rates so low the way that they are, it's almost more beneficial in the long run to pay the closing costs, even pay maybe a little bit of points for a rate because you're all, think about it, you're almost like buying so low right now. You're buying like Amazon stock at 99, think about it, is what you're doing right now. So it might make sense to pay down that rate because I might rate a return and the difference in payment can make up. So that's what I do in the analysis is, is hey, I'll, here's a rate if you want a credit to pay some closing costs. But as you start to analyze it, it all, it, the majority of cases, it's always, the math always comes out that the lower interest rate's always gonna be better because it's the long-term return. Nothing's gonna be in refinances about, yeah, we want the monthly savings today, but we're looking at the analysis of rate of return and most rate of returns are not going to be a six-month return. I have one that is right now, uh, but unique situation yeah. and the way that they're doing their loan. Uh, but again, those just those are out there and those and those options to pay those closing costs. But again, just kind of think about it. Lenders are going to want their money. I mean, kind of, kind of think about the when you go to buy the car and they like, hey, I'll give you a thousand dollars off this way. But somehow they mixed it into the origination fee on the back end. Mm -hmm. right? aware <laughs> of way they're going to come up and, and think but that's where we kind of you want to do that comparison find out what the you know again what are the fine tunes and whether what's the cost and the difference and we help analyze those side by side and what's going to look best okay um anything else on mortgages or refis because i was going to move on to a little bit of uh, reverse mortgages 
Yep. So um, I did want to hit, um, just talk about forbearance really quick. Okay. Um, really hot topic right now. Um, what forbearance is, is this is where the, um, a, a lender is going to allow you to skip mortgage payments. Um, people have lost jobs right now. We're, um, we were just in a, a call today and they're anticipating upwards of 20% unemployment rate um, within the next month or two as this continues. Mm -hmm. Was longer, it could be 20, you know, 25%. So if we have those high numbers, that's going to create an environment of where, hey, I'm not able to make my mortgage payment. Um, so uh, there are the lenders and banks, and in fact, the federal government is allowing on FHA loans for you to go up to forbearance of up with 12 months. And what that is, is that's just kind of thinking about it of like, okay, um, like when you buy the furniture at the store and there's no payments for three months, well, after three months, you have to pay the furniture store in full, right? Um, kind of thing in forbearance, it's the same thing. I'm going to let you skip your $1,500 mortgage payment this month and next month, but next, the following month, you have, you're going to owe me $4,500. So you're going to owe me the balloon of all those payments. Uh, there could be an option where I take that $3,500 and maybe spread it out over 12 months in payments, but that's uh, up to the servicer. That's not up to me as your originator or when you got your loan, that's going to be up to the servicer that's holding it. So if you are in a situation that you're going to find or you have a friend or otherwise, the biggest thing we're recommending is make your mortgage payment. Don't think forbearance is this free pass. Uh, it's <laughs> not. It's really detrimental. In fact, it could hurt your credit. It could hurt the ability to, you know, hey, the government said I didn't have to pay my mortgage. Okay, well, is, now I want to refinance and my rate can be super low. Well, you know, you just spent four months not making a mortgage payment and your payments are late now. And how does that look? So we're recommending, you know, make your mortgage payment. But if you do fall into trouble, um, you know, recommending contacting your servicer. That's going to be the biggest thing to do is contact the servicer. Make sure to um, let them know what's going on. Um, but Again, that's kind of the first things we want to do, but don't think that again, that it's a free pass or that it's just going to be there. They might make you prove it of like, okay, we'll prove us that you lost your job. Right. Okay. That's, that's a good point. Um, so, now, is any yeah. of this coming down as um, a consequence of the CARES Act or is this all servicer by servicer? Uh, this is going to be part of it is the CARE Act. Um, so they're the, especially the FHA, they are allowing that. Um, they are instructing, um, Fannie Mae and Freddie, uh, which are uh, investors for conventional loans, are uh, and set the guidelines are allowing up to three or four months. They're saying that they're not going to ding credit reports during that time. But again, uh, don't quote me because that's not a decision that's coming down for me or from anybody else but Fannie Mae and FHA guidelines. But really, just reality, just make your mortgage payments. That's why hopefully you have some savings to kind of have that fallback if, if something's occurred. But if you do have something occurred, call your mortgage, your mortgage company, mortgage servicer, and let them know what's going on. And yeah. don't miss a mortgage payment and then let them tell and let them figure it out later. Yeah. Um, do it now. So that's a really good point. Say it one more time. That's a really good point. <laughs> yep. So forbearance, you know, make sure you contact and don't uh, don't let it don't let it slide. I mean, it's kind of like you know when you. When you broke something and you didn't tell your parents, we'll find out summer summer later, and it's gonna be worse if you tell them later, right? You know, after you tried to glue it, it looks messy and it looks gross. You know, it's uh, you, you before it's broken, you're to tell the parents that you broke that you broke it first, I guess. Well, and and see, I just did a Facebook live this morning too, and I talked a little bit about some of the CARES Act 
uh, details like that. And same thing for student loans, because every servicer has a little bit of different take and they're yep. not automatically allowing you to skip payments. You have yep. to contact them. <laughs> so yep. reach out to your lenders and communicate, 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 communicate. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. That's what we're asking. Okay. So, yeah. um, so because of the fact that I think some people's retirement plans are possibly going to be affected by what's going on in the economy right now and or the job loss situation. There's this concept about a reverse mortgage and um, I don't know a ton about reverse mortgages. I've never actually worked with anyone who's done a reverse mortgage, but I've you know read about them. I've sat in on webinars and things like that. That's something that that's another element of something that you work with mm -hmm. for clients, right? Yeah, it's actually how I started originating. I started originating reverse mortgages in 2005. Um, and it's really, um, what it, reverse mortgages are going to be different from the conventional mortgages is where in the conventional market, market, everybody's fit into a box. What's your rate? What's your term? Do you qualify? Mm -hmm. One reverse mortgage is, it's, a, it's more of a financial product. It is a mortgage lien. Okay, so you don't, I mean, just to kind of, um, misconceptions are you bank owns your home, the bank doesn't own your home, it's just a lien on a property, you still own title. Um, if something happens to you, the heirs still inherit the home, just the same. Okay, so it's just a mortgage lien. Uh, that's one big, I've even had financial planners, even within the last couple of years, have told me, well, I thought the banks owned the home when you got a reverse mortgage. And that way, not from the fact at all, you still own your home. You're just actually obtaining a loan that instead of you um, making a payment on it, um, they allow you to um, defer the interest on the loan. So it, it's paid back usually through the sale of the home or unfortunately if something happens to the homeowners, um, the heirs in, inherit the home and sell the home uh, just the same. Um, uh, my mother actually did a reverse mortgage. Uh, she unfortunately passed away a few years ago, but after my dad passed, you know, still the same Seattle home. I mean, we lose income when we have a spouse pass away. Mm -hmm. and how could she stay in the home? And this was a way that she could use this home and the equity she's built, you know, she's owned it for 40 years. She didn't, we're, I don't want to move now. And, and, but life changes occurred and I didn't recommend it. Her financial planner did and said, because her, um, the way that she was drawing down to pay her mortgage, property taxes, everything, her money was only going to last her nine years. So the way that reverse mortgages used to be was last resort run out of money, I'm dead broke, I need to borrow on my house now. Now that's kind of changed in the environment we're in in that really we're, uh, our house is another asset, right? We have it sitting there and usually the only way that we could access it is, is we sell it, we mortgage it, right? We're, we have to come up with a mortgage payment each month, we're going to borrow on it, get some cash and then pay the lender back for it with interest. Or with a reverse mortgage, what we do is we open up the asset without the requirement of hurting our income. So they allow you to borrow on it, the interest is deferred, and then you're able, it doesn't affect your income per month. Um, and you can obtain a line of credit, month, equal monthly disbursements, you can pay off an existing mortgage, which um, for somebody that's 65 and looking to retire, um, what if you could choose your mortgage payment? or you're just retired and you want to keep more money in that retirement assets 
or dump more of your savings if you are working and you are in your 60s. This reverse mortgages allow you to make your more make a payment on it just the same, but you're um, you pay the interest only, or you don't make a payment at all. So you're adding financial flexibility to your loan, and it's even set it up. I mean, kind of getting a little on the technical side, but you can even set it up where if you're making if you make this payment, the way home equity lines and credits are set up, if I make a payment on this loan, I can actually draw this money back out later. Okay. So think of it almost as an annuity that you're paying into in, in a mortgage form that I can borrow the same money that I'm putting into it. So I pay an interest only $500 a month. Um, three, you know, at the end of the year, I'm going to have $6,000 more in a line of credit. After five years, I've got another $30,000 that's sitting there in savings that I could access. Right. And if I'm 62, 65, 70, and I want to keep my equity in my property, not pay as much interest, or, or, or I want to sell this house somewhere down the line, uh, maybe I'm, I want to move to Florida or I want to move to Arizona. And I want to, you know, or we're in the Tri-Cities, so we're kind of nice here anyways. Maybe most people are wanting to move here. Uh, but let's say that homeowner that's in Seattle. You know, uh, property taxes are going up. It's a five, you know, $700,000 home. Well, you know, maybe I want to still stay there, utilize my home and uh, be able to uh, pay the property taxes and use that home and the equity to, to my financial benefit without actually having to hurt my own income. And that's what we do when we're, uh, you know, getting a mortgage or if I sell my house, where am I going to go? Where's my mortgage on that place? What's my rent? Uh, so again, it's, it's not the box. And that's why I love about reverse mortgages because I can talk to people about their finances and their wishes and their yeah. wants and their long-term goals. And I've had people do it because they want to buy a condo in Arizona or they want to, um, I've had somebody says, you know what, I want to gift my grandson and granddaughter their college funds from my equity. Um, I've had people just simply do it as a uh, home equity line of credit as, uh, as emergency funds, or if they're expecting that they're going to need in-home care. Mm -hmm. it's I've worked with a number. It's one of I, I, some of my best stories and my most satisfying are those that are needing in-home care, yeah. but want to stay home. And how do we afford that? Um, my, in fact, still brings gets me emotional. Is is I had a homeowner that um, you know doctor gave him about two years to live. And he says, I can move, I own my house free and clear. I could spend $15,000 a month and move into or 10,000 and move into assisted living, or I could live at home and I die. I'm in my own bed I'm where I'm comfortable. I've got my friends and neighbors around me. Um, and it was, I mean, there was tears at the closing table and I was like, oh gosh. And he was like, these are just tears of joy. I'm just so happy I could satisfy him. And he was able to get the in-home care. So if I had a spouse that was gonna need care or otherwise, it's another financial plan, another financial pool of money that you can dip into uh, and then, again, not hurt your finances. Yeah. But again, there's, like you said, a lot of education that we want to yes. do that in discovery of what those needs and wants are going to be. Well, even for advisors, um, I, I just my personal opinion and you know, take it for what it's worth, I think reverse mortgages have a bad rap. And oh, yeah. it's partly because maybe maybe somewhere in the past somebody got taken advantage of. I don't know how oh. that came about, but, and it's just misunderstanding. It's mis every financial tool has a purpose, you know, 
And mm-hmm. even things like annuities have a bad rap, but that's mm-hmm. also tied to um, people getting taken advantage of. That's not to say the product itself Pretty is much. a bad idea. It has a purpose. Nope. If mm-hmm. it's the right purpose for your situation, it makes total sense. And this yep. is very much the same. So at least, and it's something I'm glad that I've gotten to know you a little bit better. You know, you're now my resource <laughs> on this topic <laughs> uh, because we don't, we as financial advisors are not taught a lot about reverse mortgages. So mm-hmm. um, it's good to- Well, it's not a product you can offer. I mean, if that's the thing, it's not a financial product that can be offered. It has to be done through a mortgage advisor. Right, exactly. So really the bad rap came, I mean, um, if you don't know that, I mean, uh, maybe people out there don't know that you did not have to be a licensed originator until 2010. I mean, you literally could take a person from off the street, put them in front of a desk and say, you're a mortgage advisor, get mortgage advice. (laughs) You could actually be a financial planner and originate a reverse mortgage and earn a commission by getting the commission from the reverse mortgage and taking that money and putting it into an annuity. Now I'm earning a commission off of that annuity. So you had situations where um, advantages were, um, you know, like you said, advantage being, they were taken advantage of by not being educated of like, hey, we're going to take this money and putting it in. Well, some of these stories were, well, it was an annuity the person couldn't access for 10 years. Right. Or, um, you know, the, the unfortunate thing is, is there's the misconception is, oh, well, I didn't pay my property taxes and the bank took my home. Well, that's actually not the case because if you don't pay your property taxes, the county's going to take your home anyways. So it's not really an environment of the reverse mortgage. Uh, in fact, the reverse mortgage is meant to stem that from happening. Uh, but unfortunately, again, that's what we want to do is a lot of, that's why I do a lot of education up front is because we're going to set a plan in place of what the future is going to look like 5, 10, 15, even 20 down, years down the line with mm-hmm. the reverse mortgage. Uh, to to kind of help them help them set up. So good. Well, that's just another tool for people's toolbox for sure. Exactly. So um, we are kind of at the end of our time together, and yeah. I like to ask people if you had any key advice that you would give to someone, maybe someone considering a mortgage refi, or a you know they are looking at needing sources of money. Maybe the reverse mortgage is something that's crossed their mind. Any advice, key advice for them? Um, I think the key is, is just don't be afraid to ask. Um, don't be afraid to start. Don't be afraid. I think the other thing is, is like um, talk with a trusted mortgage advisor. I mean, that's the kind of the best thing advice I have. I mean, it doesn't I mean anybody out there. I mean, like I said, I mean, there's going to be, you know, get maybe get a reference, talk to a friend. Maybe they've done a refinance. Maybe they bought their house. Maybe you buy your house and you had a good experience with that loan originator and they gave you a really good education. Well, you can kind of go back to them and, and kind of, so I always say get to, that's the main advice I would have is just to seek out a advisor as opposed to going online. I'm not, I'm not saying they're bad and, and they're, they serve their purpose, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the mine lenders and otherwise, but again, they're going to do what you tell them to do as opposed to help you make choices. And I think that's just like what you're doing. Uh, you want to help people make educated choices out there. And in the end, what we're looking at is, is that I always kind of look at it from that. I call it the lender for life is because remember, there's going to be life changes. There's going to be things. Mm-hmm. Out there. So a good mortgage advisor is going to help you look at that. Um, I do a yearly reviews with my mortgage, with my clients that have either purchased or refinanced to kind of see if there's something life changes occurred. Um, you know, so the best thing you can do is go out there, speak with an advisor. And then if you are thinking about it, 
just make the call. I mean, it doesn't hurt. I mean, the best advice I can tell somebody, I mean, is no. I mean, I take great satisfaction when I can say no to somebody because I know there's lenders out there that all they're going to do is try to get you to do this loan. I mean, sure. it's, it's transaction driven as opposed to advisor driven. I don't get paid for my time. I get paid on commissions. Um, so I'm, I'm very vetted to invested in and ensure that um, you're making an educated choice because uh, again, I want you to be happy in what you're doing. I mean, I, I'm, I mean, that's one satisfaction. I always want a happy client. I think we always want happy customers. <laughs> But truly, it's just I want people to be, uh, you know, educated, know the reasons why they're doing this, because this is probably going to happen again. These are going to happen. Life changes are always going to occur. And then um, for the next time, they, they can educate themselves for the future. Excellent. Wow. I think we could talk for at least another hour, at least on this. So lots to know, lots to go over. Yeah. Where can people reach you? How can they find you? Um, Doug, easiest way, um, you can actually reach me um, through my website, BrianCookHomeLoans.com. Um, you can actually just do a contact through there. Um, there's a contact form. You don't have to apply. You can just give me your scenario. Uh, tell me what's going on. Um, you can reach out to me. I've had, you can reach out to me. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Kennewick guy, but uh, 206-459-7777 is my phone number. And uh, simply shoot me a text and say, hey, you know, I want to get information and, and uh, just Again, a lot of people, what we're doing is we'll help them with the discovery purposes and eventually, you know, saying, hey, yeah, it does make sense or it looks good, you know, and then help them, um, you know, whether it be a home purchase, refinance or a reverse mortgage. And then in the end result, that's when I get paid. So um, I'm, I'm free advice, you know, I, I'm free to use until uh, until <laughs> it closes. So <laughs> but, excellent. Yeah. Well, well fantastic. I really appreciate the opportunity. I mean, uh, um, being a, I uh, do lecturing and other things like that and uh, home buying classes and, and uh, being able to educate and do this stuff like this is, uh, I really appreciate it. It is. And it's very timely. And I, I think, you know, you always have a new crop of home buyers coming up mm -hmm. and getting older and doing those kinds of things. So hopefully this will be good information for people who've been doing it a while and maybe good information for some new home buyers as well. So thank yeah, you very yeah. much. I appreciate you coming on today. Appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Take care. <laughs> I want to thank my guests for stopping by the podcast and sharing their unique story with us today. And thank you for listening to today's episode. Feel free to visit aveafp.com where you will find show notes and links to items that were mentioned in today's podcast. I invite you to come back often, listen again and again. Feel free to leave a review at iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening. I want to thank my guests for joining. I want to, I want to thank my guests for stopping by the booth.